Amen. Why? Well, we're there in Esther chapter number one. And like I said in the announcements, we are continuing through our series on the subject of a faithful uh, family. And if, if when we started this series, we spent the first three weeks just kind of focused on children. We talked about breaking generational curses, establishing generational blessings, talked about how to raise them right, how to discipline them. We're now shifted into spending the last three weeks, including this week, on the subject of marriage. And we talked about uh, how to have a good marriage or principles for a good marriage. And we talked about, last week, we talked about what wives uh, really want. And today we're going to finish that idea on the other side with what husbands uh, really want. So if you're here this morning and you weren't here last week, and it kind of sounds like the sermon is a little one-sided, it's because we dealt with the other side uh, last week. Last week we talked about the fact, and we saw it through Scripture, and, and we found a story in the Bible that kind of highlighted it for us, the desire that wives really have. And it simply comes down to one word, love. But it, the, the problem is not the word love. We all understand that. But how a wife perceives love. And we learn from the Bible that they are looking for sacrificial and selfless love. When they uh, can perceive that their husbands are willing to sacrifice, like the Lord Jesus Christ, willing to lay down their own lives uh, for their wife, and when they're willing to be selfless and to love them as themselves and to love them as their own flesh, then a wife can really identify and perceive, and that's what she desires. And now, that's not her only need. We also saw that she needs to be honored, but her primary language, the, the thing that she is looking for and to respond for is that selfless and sacrificial love. Now we kind of left it there last week. Now we're going to transition into what a husband really wants. Because whether you, whether our society and our culture wants to understand this or not, men and women are different. And they're not the same. And I know we, we want to, today, we live in a culture that wants to blend the, the sexes and wants to basically, you know, make men and women be the same thing. But that is not the case. So the question, we'll start with the question that we started with uh, last week. Last week we started with the question of, well, what do wives really want? And I told the men, this is the question that has haunted men for generations. They can't figure out what their wives want. We'll, we'll begin this morning with asking the wives, well, what does your husband really want? Now, I don't think that wives are uh, as, as hard-headed as men and can't really figure it out. Honestly, I think the problem with some wives is they just don't really care what a husband really wants. But you know, the Bible g explains this to us. And, and in the story, in Esther chapter number one, it's, it's almost... It's almost comical how, how much, you know, we, we can see it in the story that men desire, men have a need uh, for something, and we find it in this story. Let's look at the story real quickly, Esther chapter number 1, and uh, we're going to leave Esther in a little bit, but we're going to come back to it. Esther chapter 1 is going to be our text for this morning. So make sure you have a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. Esther chapter 1, look at verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Now it came to pass in those days that Ahasuerus... Now, Ahasuerus was one of the leaders of an empire. Uh, he's a, a, a character in history. And here we're told about that. It says, this is Ahasuerus, which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia. Very successful empire. Very big empire. Very uh, a, a big uh, conquest that he had. Over 170 and, uh, I'm sorry, 107 and 20 provinces that in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the palace, in the third year of his reign, notice what the Bible says, he made a feast unto all the princes and his servants 
the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the provinces, uh, the provinces being before him, he said, what was the point of this feast? What was the point of this party that King Ahasuerus threw for himself? Look at verse 4. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty. And I want you to notice there that whether it's right or wrong or whether it can be taken to the wrong extreme, men have an innate need and desire to be reverenced. Men want to be admired. That's what it comes down to. And, and that can go to a level that is unhealthy. They can go to a level that is sinful. But here you have this king He's ruling the known world. He's the most powerful man on earth at this time. But yet, that's not enough. He wants to throw himself this feast, throw himself this party, and what is the stated purpose? That he might show the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days. Even an hundred and fourscore days. Now that's a long party. A party to show off and to show how powerful he is, to be honored, to be reverenced, to be revered. Look at verse 5. And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace. So after the first feast, he throws another feast, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Now let's just keep a, skip a few verses for sake of time. Look down at verse number 9. Notice what his wife is doing. Also Vashti, the queen, made a feast for the women. So you have in the royal house, which belongeth to King Ahasuerus. So you have the king throwing a big party to honor himself. And then you've got the queen also entertaining, also throwing a party for the women at a different location. Look at verse 10. And on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he, we're talking about King Ahasuerus, commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abbekta, Zithar, and Carcass, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king, notice verse 11, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal. You say, what was the point of bringing her? Why is he bringing her at this point? To show the people and the princes her beauty. For she was fair to look on. So, you know, we don't really know what's going on here as to what his intentions were or what the plan was. We don't know if this is something wicked and evil or if this is something that's not that bad and he just wants to, you know, he has a trophy wife and he wants to show her off and show everybody how beautiful his wife is. Look at verse 12. But the queen Vashti refused to come of the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth and his anger burned in him. Now, I want you to notice that the story highlights for us the inherent or innate need that men look for. Men want to be honored. Men want to be uh, uh, reverenced. Men want to be uh, admired. This is why we talked about last week, little girls will play house and they'll dream about getting married and they'll play that they're uh, married or a wife. But yet, boys, what do they, they'll play that they're soldiers and they'll play that they're winning battles and they'll play that they're, you know, in a spaceship and conquering new lands, right? And, and doing these things. Why? Because there's something 
in man that wants to accomplish. There's something in man that wants to win, that wants to conquer, that wants to uh, be victorious, and that wants to be admired. That's one of the reasons that men are, uh, by and large, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is a good thing, I'm just stating a fact, by and large it is men who are interested in sports. Why? Because it gives them an opportunity to win. Gives them an opportunity to, 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 to conquer and, 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 and to have people look at them and say, hey, yeah, you won. And look, you, can, you, can, you see it in professional sports. You can see it down to church picnics. I heard, I heard a pastor tell the story about how he was at a church, at, at a church picnic at, at their church and there was a man, I forget what the, he said, I think he said his name was Brother B or Mr. B. There was a man, Mr. B, and they were playing softball and Mr. B uh, hit the ball and it went real far and he began to take off and he took off and he's running real hard and he, he just ran right through first base and circled around and he was running towards second and the ball was being thrown towards second and he slid into second base, was called safe, he stood up, he dusted himself off, he looked around, and this is what he said. He said, ah, phooey! Mrs. B wasn't watching. You know, and he was there, and he was trying hard. Why? Because he wanted to impress uh, his wife. Why? Because men have this innate feeling in them. They want to be their spouses, their wives' hero. Look at verse number 13. Then the king said to the wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all, the, all that knew law and judgment. And the next unto him was Karshina, Shethar, Admathar, Tersha, Miris, Marcina, and uh, Mumekin, the seven princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face and which sat first in the kingdom. Notice verse 15. What shall we do unto the queen Vashti according to the law? Because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Ahaziah by the chamberlains. And Mimukin answered before the king and the princess, Vashti the queen. Notice these guys, they're, they're getting a little scared. They say, Vashti the queen hath not done wrong to the king only. So look, all of these men are saying like, wow king, you got done wrong. She did you wrong. She not only disobeyed you, she embarrassed you. In front of all your friends and all your guests. I mean, you got a whole party here. The whole purpose is to show how powerful you are and you can't even get your wife to show up. But they said, hey, she has not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people that are in the providence of the king of Hazareth. Notice verse 17. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women. They said other women are going to hear about this. So that they shall despise their husband in their eyes when it shall be reported. The king of Hazareth commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes which have heard of the deed of the queen. Thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. These guys will say, you know, all the women are going to hear about this and they're all going to begin to disrespect their husbands. They're all going to begin to disobey their husbands. Look at verse 19. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal estate unto another. Now, that was the wrong decision to make. Okay? He, he just, you know what he decided? He decided... What well, 60% of marriages in America today decide when they're having marital problems that it's better to just get divorced. It's better to just start over with somebody else. Let their king give a royal estate unto another. But listen to me very carefully. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. The problem with divorce and remarriage 
The problem is divorce and remarriage. It's not that you got rid of your spouse, but it's that you can't get rid of you. See, you goes with you into the next marriage. You goes with you into the next relationship. And whether you want to admit it or not, it takes two to tango. And if there's a problem in your marriage, if there's a problem in your marriage, part of that problem, you have to take responsibility for part of that problem. Now it may be 90% of the problem is his problem, and 10% of the problem is her problem, or it may be that 90% of the problem is her problem, and 10% of the problem is his problem, but it's never this, 100% on one side. And here you have this situation where they're just like, well, let's just start over with somebody else. Let's just put her away. Let's just get a divorce. And here's the thing. Divorce is not the answer. And by the way, that's why people who are divorced and remarried are more likely to get divorced. And the more times you get divorced, the more likely you are to get divorced. Look at verse 20. And the king's decree, which he shall make, shall be published throughout all the empire, for it is great. All the wives shall give to their husbands. Notice, this is a group of men talking about how do we deal with the problem of Vashti the queen who's disrespectful and disobedient and who has disdained the king. They said, what do we do? And notice, the Bible is highlighting for us here the innate need and desire of men. They said, all the wives. They said, when they hear that she lost her job, that she lost her throne, that she was replaced, notice, their desire is that all the wives shall give give to their husbands love. Is that what it says? Now if this was ran by a woman, that's what it would say. But notice these are men speaking. And they said, we don't need, here's what King Ahasuerus has said, I don't need my wife to make me feel loved. I want her to make me feel honored. All the wives shall give to their husband honor. Both to great and to small. Now keep your place there, Esther, we're going to come back to it. Go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 5. In your New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. There is an innate need. There is a desire in men to want to be honored, reverenced, respected, praised, admired. It's just the way it is. Men have this feeling in them. They, they want that, and they specifically want it from their wives. And you say, I've never heard that before. I've, uh, you know, that's not... Uh, I read Dr. Phil's book, and I read Oprah's book, and they never mentioned that. But look, here's the thing. God is the one who instituted marriage. And God is the one who created men and women. And I want you to notice what God says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 33. Now we talked about this last week, how Ephesians 5 is the textbook passage on marriage. It's the, uh, if you want to learn about marriage, this is the, I mean there's many passages throughout scripture. Ephesians 5 is the number one, uh, the, the, the number one passage. And we're going to come back to Ephesians 5 also, so please keep your place there also. You should have your place in Esther and you should have your place in Ephesians. Ephesians 5 goes through an explanation of what husbands should do and what wives should do. But in verse number 33, there is the conclusion, bringing it all together. And I want you to notice what God says in Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. We talked about that last week. The language that wives respond to is love. Selfless, sacrificial love. But notice the difference between a man and a woman. Because then God says this, And the wife see that she reverence. Her husband. See, when God is sitting 
in the counselor's seat when God is giving premarital counseling or, or marital counseling, when God is giving advice to a marriage and saying, look, you want to have a good marriage? You want to have a happy marriage? You want to have a fulfilled marriage? You want, you want to have a, 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 a wife that is satisfied, man, that is happy? You want to have a husband that is uh, satisfied and content wife? Here's what it comes down to. Nevertheless, let everyone in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And then he looks at the woman and says, and the wife see that she reverence, that she respect, that she honor her husband. Now again, and I said this last week, go, go to the book of Titus. Keep your place in Ephesians 5. You should have your place in Esther and Ephesians. Go to Titus chapter number 2. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter number 2. Let me say this. A wife's primary need is to perceive sacrificial and selfless love. That's not to say that she's not to be respected. We saw that last week. That we were told in 1 Peter that men are to honor their wives as a weaker vessel. So that doesn't mean they shouldn't be honored and respected, but their primary need is love. Same with men. Men's primary need is that they be reverenced, that they be respected, that they be honored. But that's not to say that they don't need love. Both husbands and wives need love and respect. Love and honor. Love and reverence. But God puts the emphasis on one and the emphasis on the other. Why? Because men respond differently than women. But I want you to notice, that's not to say, you say, well, I just got to reverence my husband and not love him. No, the Bible says that you ought to love your husband as well. Titus chapter 2, look at verse 4. Notice what the Bible says. Titus chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says this, that they, the context is talking about the aged women, the older women, that they may teach the young women to be sober. Notice, to love their husbands to love their children. So we're not saying wives need not love their husbands. And we're not saying husbands need not honor their, their, their wives because the Bible tells us in two different passages that they are to do that. But the primary emphasis is placed on husbands. Make sure your wife perceives. Make sure your wife feels. Make sure your wife is, is, is seeing selfless sacrificial love. And wives... Make sure your husband perceives. Make sure your husband feels honor, reverence. Why? Because that is what they will respond to. That is what they are desiring. Now go back to Esther. Esther chapter 1. We got to answer the question, right? So you say, well, okay, I get that. Let's get practical. What is it? Because a wife, here's what a wife will say. Well, I don't understand why he feels so disrespected. I don't understand why he feels... So here's the question. What is it, what is it that a guy perceives as respect? Or better said, what is it that a, wife, that a husband perceives as disrespect? See, wives, how is it that you demonstrate disrespect? How is it that you demonstrate? How, what, it, what, what is it that you do that causes a man to feel like I'm being disrespected, like I'm being not honored, like I'm being not... Reverence. Well, let's look at our story. If you, uh, Esther chapter 1, look at verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. Esther 1, 17. For this deed, for this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, so that they shall, I want you to notice this word, despise. See the word despise there? So that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes. 
When it shall be reported that uh, reported the king of Hazar's commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto the king's princess, which have heard of the deed of the queen. Thus shall there arise too much, notice these words, contempt and wrath. You say, what in the world are they talking about? They're saying, well, all the women are going to begin to despise their husband. There's going to arise too much contempt and too much wrath. You say, what is that talking about? Go to Proverbs. Keep your place in Esther. Go to Proverbs. If you open your Bible, just right in the center, you're more than likely to find the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 21. And let me say this while you turn there. Disrespect is, dis, uh, is demonstrated. Disrespect is demonstrated by disdain. When wives disdain, despise, have contempt, have wrath against their husbands, their husbands are not going to feel respected. Proverbs 21, look at verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 21, 9. And look, I, I realize people don't like this type of preaching or they think, oh, this is crazy. This is what the Bible says. Proverbs 21, 9. Are you there? Proverbs 21, verse 9. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman, than with a contemptuous woman, than with a disdainful woman, then with a wrathful woman in a white house. Look at verse 19. Proverbs 21, 19. Proverbs 21, 19. Proverbs 21, 19. The Bible says this. It is better to dwell in the wilderness. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. And see, women will complain. They'll say, I don't understand. You know, my husband gets home from work and he, you know, uh, uh, takes his shoes off and then he goes up in his room and and he locks the door or he goes in the garage and he locks the door or he goes in the backyard and he locks the door and he never wants to talk to me, never wants to spend time with me. Why is that? Here's why it is. Because it's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop. Because it's better to dwell in the corner of a house top than with a brawling woman in a white house. My husband's always trying to go out of town. Any opportunity at work to leave town. He's always trying to go camping. He's always trying to go this. He's always trying to do what. Why is that? Because it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. I'm not telling you that's right. I'm just telling you that's how it is. That's how men feel. And look, women today have this idea. Well, if I just criticize enough, if I just complain enough, if I just nag enough, I can make him become the man I want him to be. But listen to me. You're doing the exact opposite. When you come to your husband with disdain, you say, but I love him so much and I see so much potential and I just think if I could just nag that out of him. It doesn't work. When a man feels disrespected, you know what they do? They shut down. They go on a corner. They go in the wilderness. They go work on a car. They go on a trip. They get a divorce. They shut down. And, you, and, and here's what women say. Then the, the husband shuts down and then she feels not loved. Which in turn gets her to respond with more disrespect. He feels disrespected. Which in turn gets him to respond with less love. And you know what? You say, what does this end? It ends in one word. Divorce. It ends in this crazy cycle. And look, at some point, somebody's got to get off the crazy merry-go-round. And say, well, you know what? I'm just going to love 
whether I get the respect. Or I'm just going to respect whether I get the love. And eventually, eventually, when you give them enough of what they want, they will begin to respond in the way that you want. Let's look at an example of this. Go to 2 Samuel chapter number 6. 2 Samuel chapter number 6. If you can find the one and two books in the Bible, you got 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. 2 Samuel chapter number 6. 2 Samuel chapter number 6. Look at verse number 13. 2 Samuel chapter number 6 and verse 13. 2 Samuel, 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. 2 Samuel 6 verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. And it was so, that when they bear the ark of the Lord, that, uh, excuse me, that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Now let me just give you a little context to get into the story. David attempted to move the ark of the covenant. But they did it the wrong way. They did it not according to the due order. And as a result, a man by the name of Uzzah died. Because they attempted to move the ark in the way that God had told them not to do it. Uzzah attempted to, to keep the ark from falling, and he touched the ark and he died. David goes back and studies the Bible, studies the way they were supposed to do it, and now he's getting it right. Now they're coming and they're moving the ark the right way. And as a result, they're having this big celebration. They're having this big spiritual time, and David is on a spiritual high. And it's not a bad thing. Notice verse 13. And it was so that when they bear the ark of the Lord, that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fat legs. Now think about that. They're bringing the ark of the Lord into Jerusalem, into the temple, and they that bear the ark, the way it was supposed to be carried, when they took six steps, every six steps they would stop and they would sacrifice and make a burnt offering unto the Lord and they would sacrifice oxen and fatlings. Look at verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. Now people, uh, people you read that, you're like, is dancing a sin? He's not at a club, alright? And he's not doing some sensual dance. He's dancing before the Lord. And, and he's, he's, he's having a, a spiritual high. He's glad to be the one that can finally bring the ark home. Look at verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with sound of trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, which if you're familiar with the story of David and, and Michal, remember that Michal was originally given to David by, his, her, by her father, Saul, to be a, a stumbling block to David, to be, because uh, he knew that she would cause him problems. Look at verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she, notice our key word, despised him in her heart. Now you say, well, what is going on here? Now, before you, before you start getting too hard on Michael, and Michael is not a very good person, before you get too hard on Michael, let's remember a little bit of context. Michael was, husband, was David's first wife. David left town, and she lied about the situation, and different things happened. David now has came back as king, but he came back with several wives. So here you have Michael, who's watching, who's, who's, who's probably, you know, not feeling very unloved because in the Old Testament they practiced polygamy. It wasn't right. It wasn't of God, but it's just what they did. And we talked about that last week. But look, if you come back, if your husband comes back home, or you come back home to your husband, 
and all of a sudden now there's you know, several more wives, you're probably not going to feel very loved, right? Selfless, sacrificial. Those things are not going to be there. This is my call. She's looking out at David and she despised him in her heart. Look at verse 17. And he brought in the ark of the Lord and sat in his place in the midst of the tabernacle of David, had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings of the Lord. Notice verse 18. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as to the men, and to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed everyone to his house. Verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household. David's happy. He wants to bless his household and Michal the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said now notice what she says. How glorious was the king of Israel today. Now I want you to understand something. You know what you call that? When a wife meets her husband, who's, who's the leader of the country, of, of, of the nation, it's just how glorious was the king of Israel today. You know how she's speaking to him? Condescending. Listen to me very carefully. Wives will often belittle their husbands. They will often belittle how much money they make or how they can't provide. They'll make statements like, well, my dad never... Well, my father was able, we were able to, you know, when I was growing up, we were able to uh, afford that vacation. And listen to me, ladies, you're not doing yourself any favors. You're not, I'm, just, I'm just trying to help you understand how to communicate to your husband. You're not doing yourselves any favor when you communicate in a way where you are condescending and belittling him. How glorious was the king of Israel today? It says, how, how, how glorious was the king of Israel today? Notice what she, how she continues. Who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants. And we can pinpoint the reason that my call is upset. Why is she upset? Because she's, she's upset. Why? Because she, she's looking at this guy who's already had several wives. She's out there dancing before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod only, who uncovered himself in the, in, uh, today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servant. Why is she reacting the way that she's reacting? Because she's not feeling very loved. She's not feeling very secure. She's not that convinced that this man loves her sacrificially or selflessly. But because she doesn't feel right, she responds in a very condescending and in a very complaining type of way who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants. Notice there's not an attempt to correct the problem. She's not saying, Honey, I would appreciate it. I, I, I would feel better if you weren't running around, you know, dancing in front of all the ladies. No, but she's just speaking to him in a complaining type of way. What is verse 20? As one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. Now, here's what she's saying. You're running around uncovering yourself the way that shame fellows uncover themselves. So what is she saying? She's saying, you're a vain fellow. You are, you are covered yourself today in the eyes of handmaids as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered. And she's, what is she doing? She's not only being condescending. She's not only complaining. She's being critical and criticizing and saying, you're not doing it right. And you didn't do it. You didn't do what was the, the way it was supposed to be done. And here's all I'm trying to, here's all I'm trying to say. You say, well, she was justified. Because she did not feel loved. And there's something to that. There's something to that. She was justified. 
He's running around doing his thing, doing his ministry, going around. You know, for all she knows, he's going to come back with another wife. She's not feeling loved. She's not feeling secure. She's not feeling sacrificial, selfless love. But she responds with disrespect. And what do you think he responds? How do you think he responds? Look at verse 21. And David said unto my call, It was before the Lord. Good statement. That was true. The narration, the Holy Spirit who's narrating the story tells us it was before the Lord. Who chose me before thy father? Now you crossed a little bit of a line. Now you're attacking her family. And before all his house, to appoint me ruler over all the people of the Lord, over Israel, therefore will I play before the Lord. Now, wives, I want you to look down at this. I want you to look down at this. You have a wife here who's not feeling secure, who's not feeling love, who's not feeling that her husband is giving her sacrificial, selfless love, and she said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what 90% of women do. I'm going to complain. I'm going to criticize. I'm going to nag. And I'm going to get, I'm going to, you know, uh, 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 be condescending. And that'll fix the problem. Notice what happens. Verse 22. He says, and I will yet be more vile than us. Now look, that was not right. David shouldn't have said that. David is now in the flesh himself. He said, And I will be yet more vile than thus, and will be based in mine own sight. And of the maidservants that thou hast spoken of, that of them shall I be had in. Please don't miss this. I, would, I, 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 hope, I would hope that you would see how great the Word of God is and how it explains to us who we are. Because here you have a wife, and it's highlighted for us. She doesn't feel loved. She doesn't feel that her husband loves her. She feels that she's being replaced, that he's dancing with these other women. But then he responds, and notice how he responds. He said, he, he responds to her and says, in verse number, what verse number, uh, 22, he says, of them shall I be had in what? Honor. You got one wife who doesn't feel loved, but you know, when she criticizes and complains, when she nags, you know what he feels? Well, I'm going to go get honor from those ladies then. And how does his marriage end? Verse 23. Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. Now what does that mean? That means they never came together. That means they never had a physical relationship. That means no date night. Do you understand what I'm saying? That means this marriage fell apart. There wasn't necessarily a divorce, but they just no longer, there's no relationship. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child even under her, her death. They just lived as roommates. And of course, David was practicing polygamy, so he had other wives that he could give his time to. But you have a failed marriage here. Why? Because one doesn't feel love, responds in the way that comes most naturally, and the, and the other doesn't feel honored, respected. Go to First Peter chapter number three. First Peter chapter number three. You want to know what smart wives have figured out? You look at these relationships and you say, well, her husband treats her so nice and her husband takes her out on dates or her husband lets her do, you do this or her husband uh, does that and my husband doesn't do that. Well, number one, you, sh- you ought not be comparing yourselves amongst yourselves. But, but let me just, since you're doing it anyway, you want to know what she figured out? You know what she figured out? She figured out that complaining and criticizing and nagging doesn't work. And when there's a problem 
And when there's a problem, it's better to not approach your husband in a way where you are condescending, where you are complaining, where you are nagging, where you are belittling, because that doesn't make things better, that makes things worse. And by the way, husbands, when there's a problem, you would be smart. You would be smart to figure out, well, I I just messed up. I, I just did something that made my wife feel unloved. And instead of bowing up, well, you need to just get over it. You're still too emotional. It would be better to think, what can I do? What can I do to help her feel secure in the love that I have? Sacrificially, selflessly. You say, I'm the leader. You know sometimes leaders have to apologize? Sometimes leaders have to say, I'm sorry. I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. I lost my temper. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said, David, I shouldn't have said that about your dad. I know he's dead. <laughs> I shouldn't have said those things. This is how arguments happen. And if it doesn't get fixed, marriages end in divorce. 1 Peter 3, look at verse 5. Are you there? 1 Peter 3. If you go backwards from the book of Revelation, you got Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, 2nd, 1st uh, Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. 1 Peter 3, 5. 1 Peter 3, 5. 1 Peter 3, 5. The Bible says this, For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, notice, calling him Lord. Please understand this, and please understand this. Wives, what your husbands want from you is they want to be your hero. Now look, husbands... Some of you are not your wife's hero because there's not much heroness there. There's not really anything there to admire. So maybe you need to work on that. But you, you think it made Abraham feel good when his wife said, Yes, Lord. You think he felt honored and reverence? You think that Ab- you think that Abraham, you think that Sarah had a problem getting Abraham to do what Sarah wanted when Abraham was off often being felt honored and reverenced by his wife. I'm just here to tell you, wives, you, you would figure it out. You would figure it out and, and you, you'd, you'd, you'd have a better marriage if you would figure out, go, go back to Esther, Esther chapter 1. You'd have a better marriage if you figured out the language that your husband speaks. Learn to praise and honor your husband. So, but he does all these things that are bad. That's because you're focusing on all his failures. But there's got to be some success there. But I often tell couples this, there's, there, there was a time when you liked each other. I mean, at least on the day of your wedding, there was something there you liked about each other. Focus on that. And ladies, let me just give you a tip. <clears throat> let me just give you a tip. You say, I don't, know, I don't know how to praise my husband. I don't know how to honor him. Let me give you a tip. Men are interconnected to the work they do. You know when wives talk about themselves or ladies talk about themselves, you know what they talk about? I'm married, I have five children, I homeschool, I'm a pastor's wife. You know, they, they talk about the, the, the way they minister and serve to others. You know what men talk about? What do you do for a living? Why? Because we're interconnected to our work. God made us to be workers. God made us to be conquerors. God made us to win. And by the way, let me say this. There's something wrong in our transsexual, transgender world when you've got 30-year-old men who are just content to be unemployed for two years. There's something wrong with men that don't have any ambition or drive 
Men should want to go conquer something, you know, hunt something, kill something, win something, do something. God puts that in. You're not wrong with that. That's why men go hunting. That's why they play sport. That's why they do these things. And look, you would be wise, ladies, you would be wise to learn to praise your husband's work. My wife is much smarter than I am. And she's much better at all this than I am. I definitely lucked out when it came to marriage. I, I got the better end of the deal. But you know, my wife will often say, Honey, that was a great sermon. You know, my wife will often say, You're my favorite preacher. Now, I don't know if I'm her favorite preacher or not. <laughs> but that's a smart girl. Sometimes we get home from work or home from church or whatever, and I'm like, So, what you think of the sermon? <laughs> like a little puppy, like... <laughs> Well, my wife doesn't, she doesn't say anything. I'm like, what, 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 was the screen broken in the mother baby room? What, did you miss the whole thing? <laughs> Why? Because there's an innate feeling in men. There's an innate feeling in men to want to be reverenced and honored by their wives. And my wife will say, honey, that was a great sermon. No one preaches the story of Esther as well as you do. Can I go shopping? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you that if you learn to understand what your spouse is responding to, if you learn to understand how they think, your marriage will be better. So what, what translates What translates as disrespect? Well, number one, disdain, contempt, complaining. You're not as good as, my dad would have never, but you know, her husband or her dad or the neighbor's yard doesn't look like. Disdain demonstrates... Disrespect. But there's another thing that demonstrates disrespect. We see it here in the story. Go, to, go back to Esther chapter 1. Look at verse 15. Esther 1.15. Esther 1.15. What shall we do unto the Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she hath not performed the commandment of the king. Because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus. Look at verse 17. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes, when it shall be reported the king of Hazarus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him. But she came not. Not only does disdain or despise demonstrate disrespect, but also disobedience demonstrates disrespect. Go back to Ephesians. Ephesians 5. This is why, this is why God before telling wives to see that they reverence their husbands, he says this in Ephesians 5.22. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. See, nothing Nothing communicates disrespect more than when a husband asks or tells his wife, do this, don't do this, and she just goes and does it anyway. Come to the party. No. How do you think your, your husband's going to respond to that? Anger, embarrassment, disrespect. You know, the Bible says that wives are to submit to their own husbands. You know, what's interesting about our society is that women have no problem going and getting a job and submitting to somebody else's husband for eight hours a day. 
But then they don't want to come home and submit it to their own husband as unto the Lord. The Bible says that you are to submit to him in everything. For the husband is the head of wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the, sub, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Listen to wife. In everything, you are to submit, and you are to obey, and you are to listen to what your husband uh, says. I don't know if you play, kept your place there in, uh, in, in 1 Peter. Uh, man, I lost that. 1 Peter chapter 3, you don't have to go back there, but I just want you to remember that it says in 1 Peter 3, 5, and after this manner also, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection. Please understand something. They adorned themselves. They made themselves look good being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. See, nothing, nothing, nothing communicates respect more than obedience. Isn't that true of your children? But if you, ask, if, if, if you as a mother ask your child to go do something and they just know, isn't that disrespectful? But yet God has said that your husband is to be the head of the home and he is to be the authority. And when he asks you to do something, you should submit in all things. You say, well, what, what if he asks me to do something sinful? What if he asks me to do something wrong? Colossians 3.18. You have to turn there. Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. So they get to control everything as long as it fits in the Lord. As long as it fits Within the will of God. The moment your husband asks you to do something that is a sin against God, then you are to submit to your, yourself to the higher power, which is God Almighty God. Peter said this, we are to obey God rather than men. So if your husband is asking you to do something that is sinful, your husband is asking you, you say, you're not allowed to go to church. You say, you know, sometimes I'm asked, Should I, can I disobey my husband and go to church? Absolutely! Because God commanded you to go to church and you have to submit yourself to God more than to any man. But if he's asking you to do something that's not sinful, he just really, you know, he's just like, honey, it's just, you know, it's been the seventh night of Hamburger Helper and I'd really like a steak tonight. No! There's still a little bit left. I'm just, I'm just telling you, the Bible says that you are to submit yourself in everything as long as it's not a sin. Now, if it's not fit in the Lord, if he's, not, if he's asking you to do something wrong, something illegal, something that goes against the Word of God, then you are to disobey because you ought to obey God rather than men. But other than that, you submit yourself to Him in everything. Why? Because disdain demonstrates disrespect and disobedience. Demonstrates disrespect. And marriages that don't learn to figure this out. Marriages that don't learn to figure this out are not happy. They're not fulfilled. The wife never feels loved. The, therefore, never shows respect. The husband never feels honored, reverence, respected. Therefore, never shows love. Nobody gets what they want and nobody's happy. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at two verses and we'll be done. Ephesians chapter 5. I often will preach this when I preach on marriage. Every person I, every couple I ever perform a marriage for, I always take them through some sort of premarital counseling where this concept is explained. And sometimes people will say to me, that'll never work. <laughs> that'll never work, Pastor. Or people will say, hey, that's a nice sermon, but that's never going to work. 
You know, if I sit there and just submit to my husband and obey him and say, yes, boss, yes, Lord, you know what he's going to do? He's just going to take advantage of me. Or husbands will say, that's never going to work. My wife's already rude. She already embarrasses me in public. She already is constantly criticizing me, uh, complaining about me, telling people about my shortcomings and how I'm not as good as this. And I'm not. That's never gonna. So she's she's doing all that. I'm supposed to be selfless and sacrificial and be willing to, you know, put myself, uh, put her before myself. That's never gonna work. If I do that, he's just gonna take. She's gonna take advantage of me. He's gonna take advantage of me. That's never gonna work. Please understand this. I want to talk to the men for a minute. You know what makes good leadership? What makes good leadership is that a leader is willing to put themselves in a position that's vulnerable. What makes good leadership is that a leader is willing to put themselves in a position that's vulnerable. And look, that statement, just just write that down and get that in your heart because that will give you success in every area of life. So these guys sometimes they, they wanna they wanna preach and they're like I wanna preach like Pastor Anderson and I wanna preach like Pastor Jimenez and I wanna preach like Pastor Romero but then they get up here and they're like oh, take your Bibles and go to and I was thinking and they never look up you know like this and you say why why can't they get up and preach the way some of these guys do because you know to preach this way means you have to put yourself in a position of vulnerability or someone might think you're weird or someone might think you're odd. Any position is like a song leading same way. You want to be a good song leader? Put yourself in a position of uh, vulnerability. Well, yeah, but, but, but pastor, you said, you know, you, you know that praise goes a long way. You know what I've noticed when I tell people you're singing well, you know what happens? They sing well. But, but guys will be like, yeah, but if I say that and they don't sing well, it's going to make me look stupid. Yeah, but good leaders put themselves in a position of vulnerability. Why don't you take the first step, sir? Why don't you just say, well, if I do that, she's going to take advantage of me. Why don't you just put yourself in a position of vulnerability and say, I'm just going to love her selflessly and sacrificially. And I'm just going to keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. And if it never works, I'm just going to keep doing that because that's what God said to do. But I'm here to tell you, it will work. It will work. She will begin to respond the way you want her to. But here's what a couple say. That'll never work. That'll never work. And this is why Ephesians 5... The, the passage on marriage starts in verse 21, and it starts like this. Submitting yourselves one to another. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, here's how the liberals preach that. They say, see, it's not just wives submitting to their husbands. They're all, they're all supposed to submit to themselves. You know, the, the wife makes 50% of the decisions, the husband makes 50%. That's not what the verse is saying. That would be stupid for God to say, hey, submit yourselves one to another you know, meaning both of you make decisions. And then he goes on for like four verses telling the wives to submit to her husband. And telling the husband to be the, 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 to be the, the head and the authority. He said, what is that saying? Why does it start with this idea of submitting yourselves one to another? All right, go to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. See, the word submit, think about the word submit. It means to come under. It means to bear a burden. Submit. The, the whole passage on marriage begins with this idea, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. You say, why? Here's why. Because the only way that this works, the only way that a wife puts herself in a vulnerable position, where she says, well, I'm going to submit to everything He asked me to do as long as it's fit in the Lord, 
And I don't know, he might, it might not go well for me and he's just going to take advantage of me and I'm just going to be his servant and I'm never going to get what I want and, and my desires met and my needs met. And the husband says, yeah, but if I lead selflessly and sacrificially, if I put myself in a position where I'm going to lose so she can win, and if, it, if it's between me and her, I'll make sure she wins and I lose. I'll make sure the children win and I lose. I will love them like I love and take care of myself. Then she's just going to take... The only way it works is when you're both willing to submit, not in an authority position, but an idea of, I am here for you. Here's how Romans 12 puts it. Did you go there? Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. Notice this. In honor, preferring one another. In honor, preferring one another. You have to turn there. Philippians 2, 3 says this. Let nothing be done to strive for vain glory. But in lowliness of mind. Isn't that submission? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You know what really good marriages have going on? Really good marriages have this idea where the husband says, I am the leader. God has put me in the position of leadership in this home. But it is not to serve myself. It is to serve my, those that follow me. It is to serve my wife and to serve my children. And by the way, all good leadership, that's what leadership is. I lead this church. I'm the pastor of this church. I make decisions. We don't take a vote. I don't really care what you think about, you know, what kind of toilet paper we buy or what kind of, you know, the color of the chairs. We're not committee run. We're not deacon run. This is a pastor run church. But you know, I'm also commanded not to lord over God's heritage. And you know, my job is to serve you and to help you. And the job of a husband is to serve his wife and be selfless and sacrificial. And when he prefers her better than himself, when he esteems her better than himself, and when she says, well, I'm going to submit to him because I want to prefer him. I want to esteem him better than myself. And you have both submitting themselves one to another. You know what you have? You have a beautiful, beautiful marriage. You don't have one trying to get from the other one their needs met while not being willing to meet their needs. But you have two people that wake up every day and say, I want to love my wife. I want to love my husband. I want to meet their needs. The only way this works, the only way this works is by submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Is by honoring and preferring one another. Is by esteeming other better than yourself. Now look, you've got to do your part. I'm challenging you men. Find ways to communicate selfless and sacrificial love. You say, but she's still complaining about me. She's still criticizing me. She's still yelling at me. Some of you guys are so scared. You're like, Pastor, my wife's going to yell at me just because you preach the sermon. <laughs> We're going to get in the car and she's going to be like, you don't really think that, do you? <laughs> Please don't do that, wives. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah, you don't really think that. I mean, you like it that I, you know, I'm not constantly, I'm trying, it's constructive criticism. <laughs> you just love her. Softly, sacrificially. And you just stick at it. And you love her like Christ loved the church. And you submit to him in the same way that the church is supposed to submit to Christ. And you'll be alright. You'll have a good marriage. You'll make it to the end. You'll be able to fulfill your vows and be happy about it. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word.
Think of these scriptures in the Bible that explain to us. Explain to us what we innately feel and desire and sometimes can't even communicate. Don't even understand. She doesn't even know why she's so mad. She's just mad. She doesn't even understand that it's because he's communicating selfishness and an unwillingness to sacrifice. He doesn't even know why he's so mad. He doesn't know why he's shutting down. He doesn't know why he's in the corner of a housetop, but it's because she's communicating disrespect, dishonor. And this book gives us all the answers. Teaches us how to do it right. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard and the courage to do it. And I pray that you would help us to have great marriages, strong marriages, marriages that honor you, marriages that picture for the world the relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ has with his church. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.